Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Nat Alliance Now. My name is Paul Martin. I'm the Director of Academic Content here at the National Alliance for Insurance, Education, and Research. And it's a real treat today to have a special guest live from New York, Adrian Jones. Adrian Jones is a partner at HSCM Ventures, and he's got an incredible long career and very fascinating view of the way markets and insurance markets particularly work. And I want to welcome you, Adrian. Glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell everybody about, about your background? Let them understand who you are. Sure. I grew up in Indiana, went to school, went into consulting for 10 years, did a little bit of everything and anything there. I uh, actually worked in an M&M's factory, much to my six-year-old's delight. And when I was doing this consulting work, uh, I was told to go down to Princeton, New Jersey and ask for a particular gentleman there. And of course, that was Munich Re. So that was my introduction to the insurance world, just being told, get on a train and go. <laughs> and that is what actually got me into reinsurance. So in 2010, I went and became head of strategy at Renaissance Re down in Bermuda, mm. was there for six years. And in 2016, went to Paris, was head of strategy and business development for SCORE Global PNC, the number four reinsurance company globally. While I was there, I set up SCORE PNC Ventures and led them through the first investment fund. And then two years ago, came over here to Hudson Structured Capital Management with our group HSCM Ventures. We are venture capitalists in insurance. Uh, more precisely, we focus on young companies across the global economy that have innovation and insurance and risk management as a key value driver. And so that's who I am and what we do. That's fantastic. You know what? There are going to be people listening to this, and they're going to say, how do you score a Bermuda Paris deal? How do I sign up for one of those deals? But anyway, well, I've asked you here because I wanted your perspective on where things are going with insurance. In your current role, like you said, you're looking for investment opportunities. Well, where are those opportunities today? If you can tell me, just generally, what are the opportunities that are currently out there in the marketplace in the insure tech and insurance? Well, we think insurance is undergoing an extraordinary generational transformation driven by digitization. This is an industry which in many ways has not digitized in the same way as banking has done, for example, or even most other sectors of the economy. And I think agents live that every single day. That's a big part of the job and of life. There has been an extraordinary confluence of three factors, people, capital, and technology. And you have to understand those three factors. Number one is people. There was, in around 2015, there was an extraordinary influx of venture capital people and dollars that started. And it was really started by people from outside the industry who said, I can't believe that this industry still operates this way. I know better ways. I'm going to come in and do that. And those businesses have had, uh, I would say, mixed success. They were backed by an extraordinary amount of capital. If you look at the amount of venture capital that came into insurance before 2014, it was, uh, it, well, number one, nobody really bothered to keep track. But when people then went back and did try to keep track, they added up less than a billion dollars a year mm. uh, for as far back as they went. Last year was more like a $13, $14 billion year. Wow. And this year could be, this year being 2022, we're at the very end of 22 here, uh, could end up being a 9 to $10 billion year. Amazing. Cumulatively, more than 50 billion in venture has come in, venture capital dollars has come into the sector since 2015. Is, is the consolidation we've seen, is that a driver? The consolidation in the agency space? Yes. No, actually. Okay, okay. To me, that's actually driven by a totally separate set of factors that we can talk through. But people capital, and then the third is technology. 
And the example that I give here is you look at AI artificial intelligence. Back in 2011, not more than 10 years ago, and not much more than 10 years ago, AI was playing Jeopardy. And it was doing pretty well. Remember Watson beat Ken Jennings. Yeah. Since then, AI classification models have improved their efficiency by a factor of 44 times. Wow. So this particular form of AI classification models, at least, are 44 times more effective than they were or more efficient than they were back just 10 years ago. The implications of things like that, of massively decreasing processing costs, massively decreasing storage costs, massively better capabilities, just availability of dev tools, for example, to develop new software. It's far simpler and easier today than it was 10 years ago. The implications of that on the insurance business are really just being started to be felt. And I think that's, you know, these three things together are why we're seeing such an extraordinary change in this business. And it may feel glacial, but I think that there's an enormous amount yet to come. And that's what makes me really excited. It is exciting. Well, my mind went to when you started bringing up AI and what the computers can do. And I immediately, my brain went to underwriting. And that, you know, underwriter is a class, underwriting is a classic art. And you understand that. But this could change underwriting a lot if you get enough data. It already has. Look at Home and Auto. Yeah. You know, the basic personal lines products. You know, you need to, if you're in that space and you want to be competitive, you need to be able to turn around a quote on standard business essentially immediately because that's what's required. And it's got to be competitive and accurate too. Yeah. Yeah. There's companies in the UK that will put out a half million to a million quotes every single day. Wow. It's entirely driven by computers. Uh, yeah, there's obviously edge cases here and there, like the people that convert a school bus into whatever, like, <laughs> you know, that stuff's still going to be manual, but like, that's going to be what's done manually. If you have a 2020 Toyota Corolla with 10,000 miles on it, you know, that's just going to go. Yeah. And nobody's going to look at that. Okay, I have a question then. Could they train this AI to go look at a Google, a Google Maps view of your house to see if there's a trampoline there? Oh, absolutely. It's, that's already being done, actually. <laughs> The better carriers will know that. They'll know that there's a trampoline in the back, there's a pool, maybe there's a cage for vicious dogs. Um, <laughs> they'll know what the quality of the roof is. Yeah. Uh, they'll know how, how big the house is, you know, the house's footprint. They'll know if there's junk or debris, which of course is a problem in a windstorm. So yeah, that stuff is all absolutely possible and it is increasingly becoming table stakes for being effective in underwriting in personal lines. Wow, that's really neat. Are they making progress in commercial lines doing that kind of thing? Yeah, particularly small commercial. We're seeing uh, straight through processing rates at some small commercial underwriting shops are as high as 80%. Wow. As you get larger and as you get more heterogeneous, obviously it becomes more difficult. And so when you get into the you know, mid-market, in mid-market, it's much more about how do you prepare the information in a proper way so that the underwriter can look at it really efficiently and effectively with all the information there at the underwriter's fingertips. And then for the very large commercial, obviously that's still relevant, right. but that's much more of an art than a science still at this point. But there are you know, increasing tools that are helping underwriters be more effective in their role. This is where people talk about the bionic underwriter. <laughs> um, you're seeing that much more at the larger end. Right. Well, I have, um, I have a friends, of course, that are very talented risk managers, and they're seeing just the sheer data you can collect on a large employer, for example. You can do a lot of things in risk management if I have better data, you know, loss data, incident data, machine failure rate, you know, all that kind of thing. It, it all matters. So Absolutely. The, the data is all out there, but here's the challenge. Data is a friction. Data is not the new oil. 
And this is a mistake that people made. They just said, well, if we have more data, then everything's going to flow a lot more smoothly and it's going to lubricate everything. No, data is fiction because it takes effort to go out and collect that data, to analyze it, and to do something with it and about it. But once you figure out how to do that, that's when you turn it into a lubricant. Ah, that's a good, really good point. So how is the traditional insurance environment, how is it under threat with what's happening in tech advancement? Is it? Well, so think about the, to the agents that are listening here, think about the carriers that you deal with and think about the average age of those companies. Think if there are any that are younger than you are. And even if you're very late in your career, odds are most of them are quite a bit older than you and quite a bit older than your grandparents. Mm -hmm. I buy insurance from the same company that my grandfather did. He got his eligibility in 1943 in Guadalcanal, uh, and I'm still buying insurance from them. That's amazing. Think, is there any other product that you're buying the same thing as your grandparents did through essentially the same channel as your grandparents did? And from the same company. From the same company. I mean, maybe Coke and Pepsi, but like, right. there's very few products that are as enduring as insurance and very few companies that are as enduring as insurance companies. Even look at banks, like odds are you use a totally different bank and you interact with that bank in a totally different way. So insurance is an incredibly enduring business. I joke that a lot of insurance companies survived the panic of 1873, which was a riot by a bunch of men in top hats and bow ties down on Wall Street. <laughs> If you can survive that, you can survive whatever's coming down the pike right now in Ukraine or wherever. So is tech a threat? Largely not. I think where tech is a threat is for the laggards who don't embrace it, who can't keep up with the state of the art. And I think that's true in both the agency side as well as the carrier side. I think tech is more of a threat to small agencies than it is to insurance carriers. Because right now, having a balance sheet is actually a pretty good thing, particularly in a world of higher interest rates. And the longevity of those customer relationships that a lot of, you know, think of your small regional mutuals, for instance, they have extraordinary customer relationship longevity. That's not necessarily true of agencies. Right. And there are very clear benefits to scale for agencies to get larger, one of which is you're able to adopt more tech and you're able to use it more effectively. If you look at, for instance, the use of comparators in personal lines, for instance, the very smallest agencies, less than one and a quarter million, only 45% of them are using a comparator in personal lines, whereas 82% of agencies over 25 million in revenue are using a comparator. That makes perfect sense. So uh, the smaller agency is under much greater threat from technology than uh, carriers in general, or even compared to the small carriers. What about these all these agencies that are grown quite large through consolidation, multi-state, I mean, dozens and dozens of acquisitions over the past five years. And they're big behemoths now. What challenges do they face? Are, can they get too big? Well, there's 15 agency groups now in the U.S. that are north of a billion in revenue. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know when the first billion dollar agency was, but it wasn't that long ago. So yeah, there's, there are definitely a very large group in the top 15 to 25, and then it, it trails off uh, reasonably quickly. But there are very clear benefits to scale in terms of operating efficiency that's that, that you're capable of. There are very clear benefits uh, in terms of choice, just if you look at the number of carriers that they have access to and how they have access to them. So there are definitely benefits. There are benefits from a, a capital markets access and financing perspective, uh, you know, being able to be public or at least have access to, you know, debt and equity capital markets. What I think is really interesting is 
you know, historically, when agencies have been acquired, the principal uh, or some of the key people hang around for some period of time and then eventually peel off and go recreate whatever it was they just sold. Right. Try to do it again and again. What we saw in the reinsurance world would suggest that actually there may be an end to that, or at least it will become more difficult, in part because of technology. I'm all ears. What, what do they see? So reinsurance went through, and I'm re- talking reinsurance brokerage here, went through uh, a series of major acquisitions led by Aon and Guy Carpenter and then you know Willis, which is now part of Gallagher Re, such that those three controlled the vast majority of reinsurance brokerage in, in the U.S. and globally. And they, to varying degrees, invested in technology which would provide data and analytics which could be used to win business for their agents, to help place business more effectively, and to help drive better deals with the reinsurance carriers on the other side. And it became much more difficult for individuals or even teams to peel away because the way that they did their business relied on access to this technology, relied on access to the analytics that the brokerage itself was providing. And that's just invisible to most people. They don't even know that's going on, do they? And you don't even think about it sometimes because it's just the way that you come and do your business. But then you say, oh my gosh, I I could leave and go start my own shop, but what would I do without any of this technology that I've had? I'd have to go and rebuild it from scratch. And that's why there has been no large reinsurance brokerages that have been founded within the last 10 years. Hmm. Uh, Tiger Risk was arguably the most recent, and, and that's well more than 10 years old at this point. Wow. So it has become very difficult to just peel off like that in the reinsurance world, in part because of tech. And I think those brokerages that invest most effectively in technology and are able to provide the best experience for their producers and their employees are going to find that customer that their retention, both of customers and importantly of their people, is going to go up. And I think that will be a durable competitive advantage going forward. That's good to hear. You know, we're at Hit the National Alliance, we're all about people, <laughs> really, about helping people succeed at the indiv- down the individual level. And I would love to get your perspective because it seems it's always been this way. The environment changes and tech has changed things and we get new ways of doing things and processing things, but it seems to always come down to people. In fact, I had a lengthy discussion yesterday with, a, with an insurer, and they're still investing heavily in brand new people that they're bringing into their underwriting fold. And they appreciated that having that human who understands what these contracts do and don't do and knows how to explain it to the agent or price it properly is still a, a real big asset that insurance companies can't let go of, and I, I hope they never do because that's what we're about. But speak to the education piece on the people and how important that is. Well, I think one of the biggest challenges that people coming into the space have found is that they don't necessarily know the insurance business. And I'm speaking about entrepreneurs here and hotshot Silicon Valley types who come in and say, you know, like I said, your your business isn't as effective as it should be and I can fix it. And in some cases they've been successful, but in some cases uh, they they have run into some brick walls of the challenges of our business because it is an esoteric business. It is heterogeneous in terms of the types of risks that we're dealing with. In many cases, uh, you know, it does require humans, you know, to put together a complicated life insurance policy, for example, or to understand how policies interact with each other to get a business covered. You know, there's some complexity, and even in personal lines, as as agents well know, you know, you see it all the time in agent chat forums, uh, you know, how do I handle this particular situation? Right. So that all definitely exists. Now, 
How do you solve that? Well, number one, you try to get humans away from doing the really basic stuff that humans you know, probably ought not be doing that machines can do better. So that humans are therefore more focused on handling exceptions rather than just processing through the basic sort of stuff. So that's number one, using technology to do that. Number two is one of the challenges that our industry has faced is how do you attract humans to this business? Right. Uh, InsureTech has attracted an extraordinary number of people. We're in the process of adding it up right now. Uh, and right now, our numbers, we've identified 78,000 people that are working for 320 InsureTechs. Wow. Uh, and we haven't even gotten through the list. So I think we'll end up well over 100,000 by the time this is all said and done. And a lot of those people are actually going towards incumbent agencies and incumbent carriers because they realize that actually there's a lot of data that those uh, companies and agencies have. There's a lot of growth potential and there's a real need for their technology. Then you flip to the other side and technology is enabling incumbents, particularly incumbents of a particular size, to be much more industrial about their recruiting. You know, the biggest challenge for a lot of agencies is how do I find people who are going to succeed in this very difficult job? And a lot of the times it comes down to an interview and kind of try people out and hope that they make it. And you invest in someone and it turns out that they don't. And that, that's a bad outcome. We are seeing much higher success rates in one-year retention for those who are able to put technology at the problem to, for instance, you know, profile people for the sort of skills and techniques that are necessary in order to succeed in the insurance business. So even technology can help in something like uh, you know, recruiting. It certainly can help in retention because people want to work in environments where they have good tech. Yeah. And you know what? We're actually part of that here at the National Alliance. I mean, having that CIC or a CISR designation or a CRM, that right there, it's, it's a marker that says, okay, they have this capability. They were able to get that. They're, they're at least here on the level. That's an important perspective, isn't it? Those designations are markers of capability. Yeah, absolutely. Because many of the larger organizations have cut back quite substantially on the training programs. And if you don't have the basic business being done by humans because the machines are now doing it, then how do people get on that first rung of the ladder? Right. How do you know how to write uh, a complicated auto risk if you can't write a 2020 Camry because that is being written by a machine? <laughs> That's right. Uh, so I think the technology actually by taking out a lot of those really basic entry level sort of tasks is actually making designations and organizations like this actually much more important than they've been. Not to say they weren't in the past. but just... Right. That's a good word, though, and, and something we need to learn how to preach better. You mentioned something earlier talking about not everybody that jumps in, like with uh, InsureTech and that kind of thing. I worked for a tech startup 10 years ago, and you know who they are. I'm not going to mention their name. And Loved my time there. It was really interesting. And I got there from day one and got to watch, you know, a tech startup operate. And it was funny. What it did is it consolidated independent agents into a, a place you could go and put in your zip code, and here's the agents around you, and here's their capabilities, and here's a link to their website. It was really neat. It's neat. I think it's still around. It's doing good. But about eight months, we we're into this thing. And one of our guys got a call from Google. I said, what? We got a call from Google? He said, yeah, Google called. I said, who, who's Google to call? I mean, who calls you from Google? You know, I understand it better now. But back then, I didn't understand it very well. And they eventually, about a year later, tried to do the same thing that we were doing. They just thought they could leverage that giant platform. They could leverage it better than we could. So they tried. About a year and a half after that, the guy that was heading this thing up at Google called our CEO 
and they had met before, called him up and said, we give up. And the difference was, he said, there's no way that we can penetrate the relationships that are really old and cemented in the insurance industry, like between company and agent, you know, agents among themselves as a, at a state level, at a national level. The relationships are so built in and ingrained that they found it very difficult to punch through that because they didn't understand them. They didn't speak their language and couldn't, it's harder to build trust, I guess, is the main issue. But I just found that fascinating, that all that tech, all that money, all that power, ability to cramp, knock the door down. And they finally called and said, we give up. We're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, because actually big tech has far more, or far bigger fish to fry than uh, trying to figure out how to sell an insurance policy. That's exactly uh, right. I mean, obviously the insurance business is huge. It's a $7 trillion business globally. You know, there's a lot of value to being able to sell uh, insurance. Insurance distribution is a $100 billion a year business just in the U.S. Uh, you know, there's 854,000 insurance agents in the U.S. right now. That's a lot of uh, agents. These are huge, huge businesses. But when you think about what the big tech companies have on their plates that they could potentially be going after, I think it'll be a while before they get to insurance. Yeah. <laughs> despite the, the little foray that you were describing there. <laughs> well, let me, uh, let me ask you a question. This may wrap us up. Take it everywhere, anywhere you want to go. But what does your gut tell you? What does the future look like for the insurance industry? From your chair, what is, what's the future going to look like? You can go 10 years, five years, I don't care, but what do you think? Well, there's the question of what is and what should be. And let me answer the second question first, because what it should be is a little bit different. This is an industry which is fundamentally very good for people, good for society, good for government, good for everyone. Underinsurance is a major problem all around the world. You look at Florida and the counties that were ordered to evacuate during Hurricane Ian, and the fact that 47% of people in those counties who were in floodplains in those counties didn't actually have flood insurance. Yeah, that's bad. Uh, you know, to me, that, that's just a disaster. You look all around the world, and you go to a place like Pakistan, for instance, which also suffered horrible floods in 2022, and the penetration of insurance there, any insurance of any kind was only about 2% of the loss. So, this is an industry which is very important. When we focus on solving problems as an industry in partnership with our customers, we are able to make the world a much safer place. Uh, if you look at rates of industrial accidents, rates of lost time off because of workers' comp issues, rates of structural fires, even car crashes, those have all gone down over the course of my lifetime quite substantially. Car crashes, incidentally, have just started ticking back up for reasons I think a lot of us are familiar with. But this is an industry that can make the world a safer place. I think in order to do that, number one, we have to have continued product innovation. We have to be able to meet customers where they are, as they are, as they wish to buy. And that does not necessarily mean everything's going direct. Agents can absolutely do that. Agents have a part in it. But it doesn't mean that people are going to walk into our agency on Main Street to come purchase insurance. That's not where the customer is. Right. I think that it means taking out a very significant amount of overheads that exist in this business. Just in PNC, there's about $70 billion a year in expense. There's also quite a bit on the life side, uh, quite a bit on the health side. Most other, many other industries have taken out quite substantial amounts of their overhead on a unit basis. Insurance has not. Hmm. Um, McKinsey has shown some fascinating studies on this. We just have to do that. Why? Because all this expense, the selling expense, distribution expense, overheads, are all built into the cost of insurance. Our customers pay that. 
And I think our customers buy less of our product because it's not as efficient as it needs to be. We don't meet customers where they are as often as, as we need to. And we don't necessarily have the products that meet their needs. So we as an industry have to solve those three problems. And I think that means carriers, reinsurers, agents all working together towards common solutions that are going to be good for people. Now, that's what it should be. What it is in the future, uh, you know, I think it's going to take time to get there. But I think that the inexorable march of technology is going to push us in that direction, even if we don't get as far as we might you know, otherwise get. And I think ultimately that's going to be a really good thing for society. Interesting. Interesting that you said that the way you said it, because I've said for years that you can't really have a, a high functioning Western type economy without insurance. You just can't. It, everything, because it and banking are t- you know, attached at the hip. And I'm, that was a brilliant way you said it, though. The future should be that way, and I'm looking forward to that. Well, Adrian, I want to thank you for being on today. This is a real treat. I know, I know our audience is going to enjoy listening to this. People that are thinking ahead, whether they're agency owner or producer or underwriter or risk manager, that this is the kind of thing that they love to think about because I think the future's bright as well, but we do have some challenges ahead of us. I appreciate your support, and if anyone is interested, they're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn, Adrian Jones on LinkedIn. So, Adrian Jones, thank you again. And for us at Nat Alliance Now, wish you a great day. You too. Thanks.